Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, I'm still fired up for the way Florida State is finishing up this season with one big one to go later this week. Uh, what, one five of the last seven? Is that, uh, is that accurate? That is accurate. And uh, another stat that our listeners probably know or knew better than I did is if that was the fifth game out of the 11 that FSU has been involved in a three-point or less contest, and they are three and two in those contests. Two big wins back-to-back. This one was really a dominant win, more dominant than what the final score suggested. We already rehashed that on Saturday, so I don't know that we need to go into that again. We can we can turn the page and get ready for Gator Week, and we're going to have Bob Ferrante join us in our next segment. Then we'll get a Gator uh, expert for the segment after that to, to kind of really address two questions. One, what does he expect from Florida this week? And two, who's going to be the next head football coach at Florida? Uh, let me ask you, Keith, what do you expect from UF this week? they got an interim coach. Three coaches now have been fired, head coach and the OL coach and the defensive coordinator a couple weeks back. My first thought when I heard of Mullen's dismissal was about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, when Florida came to Tallahassee, played at Dope Campbell Stadium with Ron Zook in his final game. Now, as I understand it, Coach Mullen will not be on the sidelines Saturday. But Zook had been dismissed and was allowed to coach the last game. And if I have my numbers correct, what was also disappointing, obviously the Gators won, but was also disappointing is that's the game in which we dedicated Bobby Bowden Field. So those were the thoughts that came to my mind. It might be some form of a rallying cry or motivation for the Gators. I'm hoping by Saturday I get over that. Thanks for bringing up that memory, Keith. I appreciate that. (laughs) I'm good for something, not just much of nothing. (laughs) I think that is the question is will Florida show up? They didn't show up against Missouri. They didn't show up against Sanford, even though they won, they didn't show up against South Carolina. And now that Mullen is gone, will they show up? Will they have some pride? I think, I think they will show up at least initially, as I've talked about. Now we'll see if things go well for them early on. Then, then maybe they hang in there. If Florida State gets out to a lead like it has the last couple of weeks, I'm not so sure they hang in there. One thing that the Gators do have going for them, again, if my numbers are correct, uh, is they have, I believe, 24 departing seniors. Uh, that's a big group. That's a large number of kids that have been there four or five and maybe some cases six years because of COVID. And there is, regardless of your record, and whether you want to give your opponent credit for anything, there is uh, that old thing called intestinal fortitude where this is your last game on this field. And if you're an underclassman, you want to send your seniors out on a, on a high note. 
So in that regard, um, that wor- that is a little bit worrisome, but I'm like you. Uh, they have not proven to play 60 minutes of football very consistently have the Gators. On the other hand, Florida State has done that even in their losses. Well, the winner in this eligible credit, Tim Linnefelt, mm-hmm. gets to go bowling officially. I don't think that if Florida State loses that they'll get in. There will be a couple of teams most likely at five and seven that get in. They determine it based on APR, and I don't think they have the rankings out on that. But given Florida State was struggling in that area a couple of years ago, I don't know that they'd make the cut. So the the surefire way to get to a bowl is to, is to go ahead and win. Interestingly, when you look at the bowl projections from different outfits, I've seen three that have FSU in. So I guess they expect that they're going to beat Florida in this game. I've seen Gasparilla Bowl. I've seen the Military Bowl. I've even seen the Gator Bowl, and I can't figure that one out if Florida State somehow got to the Gator Bowl. But those are all by national pundits, so to speak. So somebody's taken notice of how Florida State's playing of late. Certainly they didn't pay attention to the Vegas line, or at least they think that Florida State's going to more than cover that. Uh, But I'm with you. And uh, as we've talked about previously, you know, I'm not sure what motivation the bowl is as opposed to 30, 40 years ago when when I was playing, given the playoffs and and just given the nature of where college football is right now. Uh, But I know from a coaching perspective and I know from an overall um, team development perspective, this squad could certainly use those additional 12 or 15 practices. And uh, that's that needs to be reinforced some way, shape, form, or fashion as well. There's no question it would be great. That, to me, is the primary reason that you want to go to a bowl. It would be nice if you win and you're 6-6 six and six and you win your bowl game so you get back above 500. But the reality is it's about the extra practices. And I don't know how many guys on this Florida State team might opt to not play in the bowl if should FSU get there. We can address that later, but there's some guys that have NFL futures ahead. Other guys, if they're planning to hit the portal, may not be around. So really, it comes down to playing the young guys. The key, though, is you got to Florida. And Keith, any any uh, favorite memory you'd like to share, other than the fact that your class was the first one to go four zero against the Gators? Well, our listeners have heard me talk about that way too much, and they've also heard me talk about my two interceptions in the fourth quarter against Florida. Oops, wait, I, I wasn't supposed to say that. Uh, I think the biggest thing uh, about the Florida rivalry, Tom, is that. Most of these kids know most of those kids. And certainly, you know, when I when I see Yancey Sutton uh, here in Tallahassee and uh, he has the opportunity to walk up behind me and say, go Gators. And I turn around and, and I'm able to go shake his hand and give him a big hug. We were, you know, fierce competitors against each other. Now, we were both on defense and so we didn't face each other, uh, you know, squared up. But then on Sunday nights when I watch Chris Collinsworth doing ball games with Al Michaels and I see this and I see that and I see the other, you know, as you get older, you mellow a little bit. But during the time and for the kids that are playing right now, that's the enemy. You know, you don't like them. You'll you'll worry about maintain or developing and maintaining relationships later. And uh, you know, I I've enjoyed my time with Scott Brantley and and, and others, and um, that's what I'll take away. That's not a real good uh, during-the-day memory, but that's what this rivalry can uh, lead to, is some very, very good relationships. And the rivalry gets renewed on Saturday at 12 noon. We will dive deeper into this matchup when our Osceola insider Bob Frante joins us right after this. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. 
Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, pleased to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we welcome our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, who joins us. Bob, how are you, sir? Doing well, guys. Hope you're uh, hope you're doing well and pre-gaming for the turkey and, and the sides and desserts and, uh, and get ready for a good uh, good weekend of football. Have you looked at us, Bob? We're always pre-gaming for the turkey and the sides. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I, I know you guys are. Yeah. What uh, little little radio tip for broadcasters? When you have a microphone, it sounds better if you hold it. So I'll just hold it now. Keith was trying to do sign language over the Zoom. Keith, I thought you were faking the fork, like you were practicing eating or something. I'm like, what is he doing? Anyway, <laughs> we've been doing this way too long, Tommy. Because after you got past that, you knew exactly what I was doing. I did. I did. I was like, this is like a game we play. At the, it's a family game. This is charade. Sounds like microphone. Oh, microphone. Okay, I got it. <laughs> All right, Bob, now we're past that. What do you think, FSU, Florida? The, the, the million-dollar question that Keith and I already kicked around is, is Florida going to show up or not? Yeah, I think it's an interesting uh, debate. You know, is a team that's been on the ropes all year, a team that has seen coaches dismissed, fired, whatever, um, in the last few weeks, and now the head coach gone. Do they have the emotion? I mean, this is mentally more challenging than physically. I think for a lot of guys who are trying to figure out, are they able to to put it together to to compartmentalize everything that's going on off the field and just put it together on the practice field day after day and be ready for Saturday? And you almost feel like if Florida State jumps on the Gators early, and gets what will be a smaller Florida crowd kind of out of it, you feel like the enthusiasm in the Gators will be kind of taken out of things. So I, I think a huge key is, is Florida State, do what you do. You know, run, get after the quarterback, you know, play play your game, and not worry about a lot of the other things. But I think if Florida State gets out to an early lead, this one could could look really good for the Seminoles throughout the afternoon. Bob, with everything that's going on down in Gainesville off the field relative to coaches, as you mentioned, and that type of thing, you know, we talk about rivalry games and we say that you throw the book out and don't worry about the statistics. How, how relevant is that process when all that other stuff is going on becomes a question, I think, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's been a weird rivalry. I, I think, I don't know what this means, if anything, but I was looking back through some scores and we've always seen closer Florida Miami games through these last few years and historically and lately the Florida State Florida game hasn't really been close we've seen a lot of double digit spreads between the two teams I don't think there's been a game within a touchdown since 2014 it seems like one team's been really good one team's not been so good one team's had something to fight for and and another not much at all it's been just a really weird kind of end of season rivalry where I think in this case, Florida State all of a sudden is feeling really, really good about where they are and not just a chance to, you know, win a state title, get to a bowl game, but it just feels like the confidence and momentum is riding really strong behind Florida State. And and I think these guys are just just really fired up to to keep it going. I, I do think there's gonna be enthusiasm for for getting to another game. 
you know, Mike Norvell doesn't call it a bowl game, but he calls it getting another one. I think they want to have an opportunity to be together through December and, and have some more weeks together as a team. Bob, you just mentioned two things that were pipe dreams eight weeks ago, 10 weeks ago, a state championship and a bowl game. I mean, this is, it's really remarkable. If, if they get to six and six and achieve that, I, it's to me, it's one of the more memorable Florida state seasons. And I've been around here a while now, granted I'm getting older. So maybe every year in the nineties is starting to fade away a little bit. They were all pretty darn good, but uh, you just have to take your hats off to the coaching staff and the players for the way they've responded. Yeah, the, the coaching, the leadership, I, I think the, the guys have fought and they've bought in. And, you know, when you're 0-4, it can go south in a hurry. And I think if if maybe that Syracuse game doesn't doesn't go right, you know, with that, that big stop on the goal line, if some key plays don't just go the right way, you can see leadership maybe saying, okay, this isn't working out and we're, we're just going to kind of play through it and get to the NFL. I've kind of written about it a little bit. I might be curious for your thoughts too, but this feels like a team that we will remember not for the September, but for all the right things. It could be a team that is a foundational year for Mike Norvell that, that years down the road, we say, well, that 2021 team really battled a serious amount of adversity early on and, and had to learn and, and battle together. Do we remember them it's not similar to the 1981 team at, at all in terms of the crazy October schedule and the battling. But I think you remember certain Florida State teams for what they achieved. And in part, it's, did you beat Miami? Did you beat Florida? But how much did you battle? How fun were you to watch? We haven't seen a lot of fun to watch Florida State football teams these last, say, three, four years. Well, this is there's been some moments that have not been fun whatsoever, but I think as you finish this season, you say it's been fun. It's been wild and they've got a shot to knock off two rivals. And that would be, I think a fun long-term memory that boosts you through recruiting and then into the say year three of Norvell and beyond. Yeah. I, I echo that a little bit uh, too, Bob. I think this group wants to continue to be together um, you hate to say it in this particular way, but there were some players that were on the roster two years ago that are not on the roster now that weren't buying into what Norvell and his staff was trying to build. And, you know, once you get that, uh, what, do we, what, 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 should, what should we call it, a purge, once you get that transition out, then you've got like-minded folk that like being around each other. It's like Leonard's group on the, on the hardwood, Sue's group on the hardwood. You, you come in, you buy in, and you like being together. And We've now got this group to that point, I think, is, is what I see. Yeah, Norvell calls it fit. Um, some people call it chemistry. It's that intangible, do you like the guy next to you? Do you is he your friend? Are you going to work hard, not, not just for you, but for him? Are you going to work hard for your position coach? Um, are you working for the front of the jersey, Florida State, or, or the back of the jersey, the, the name that's on the back? And and not saying that all those guys were, were selfish. They moved on for their own reasons, or the coaching staff said, hey, there might be a better fit for you elsewhere, where schematically it's best for you to go elsewhere. You know, Sue Semra has said that you know, with this COVID year coming in, she has had an influx of players. And she mentioned to a couple of the girls who were graduating, hey, you might have better opportunities for you elsewhere. 
it, it's not a bad thing to move on now that you've got an undergraduate degree you can go chase a grad degree somewhere else there's all different kinds of reasons for transfers and the portal has opened things up and, and the grad transfer rule too but i i do think norvell had to find the guys who he felt were bought in for the long haul again whether you're freshman, sophomore, junior, transfer guys. But it, it's been pretty incredible how well they hit on the portal too. I mean, there have been some portal, um, I won't say busts, they just haven't panned out yet. But there have been some success stories, guys like Jermaine Johnson and, and Keir Thomas, incredible contributions from guys who, you know, Jermaine Johnson is probably going to be the ACC Defensive Player of the Year, if not one of the top vote-getters. And Keir Thomas, the way he's come on in the second half, looks like a first team or second team type of all ACC guy. So they've found the right guys, um, the right personalities and fits and leadership as much as they've also been looking for production. You could almost run through all the portal guys and say they were, they were worth it. I mean, Jamie Robinson's on that list last week, McClellan had to play when Robinson went out of the game, say what you want about parchment, but that one fourth and 14 catch, you know, check Dylan Gibbons is in the portal. Mackenzie Milton, I know what he looked like on the field, but uh, he certainly has been a good guy behind the scenes. So they, they did well in the portal last year. Hey, Bob, in our, in our last couple of minutes, Florida State basketball team, impressions as they, they win two more this week to win a championship in Jacksonville. They play tonight. They'll get a win tonight over BU, I'm sure. But uh, general thoughts on what you've seen through the first five games. We felt like there were going to be some stumbling, some growing pains early with this team, just because you're you're mixing in so many newcomers, uh, transfers, freshmen, all that. And I felt like you know going down to Gainesville, and I know you were there. It 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 was tough. You know the ball wasn't moving. You weren't getting the defense. It was generating the offense. It just it was kind of too much for a young team in game two to pull all the pieces together. What we saw in Jacksonville was was pretty fun. I mean, against Mizzou, Mizzou was clearly, um, I won't say overwhelmed. I think worn down. I think just worn down by playing after an overtime game and then playing a second game against a really deep Florida State team. You saw the Seminoles' length and, and depth and athleticism on the defensive end, and that generated some steals. You get some quick and easy buckets out there in transition, and it, it it was an entertaining game, even though there, it was by no means close. You know, the, it was such a, a fun display of getting to see the full depth of the roster. We got to see some of the seven-footers we hadn't seen much of. So they're they're kind of trying to figure out just how much they can trust, I think, in part, some of these seven-footers because you can't live long-term with Malik Osborne as the five. You have to find, is it Tenor Nagam? Is it Quincy Ballard? Um you know, how, how do you make it work with these different rotations? And, you know, we're still kind of seeing the early part of that. How does Leonard Hamilton figure out all the pieces? Bob, the one criticism, and I'll give credit to my, uh, my co-host uh, Tom Block, cause he brought it up. But as we close um, getting used to playing in, in Leonard's motion offense in the half court, that's still a work in progress. The ball really has to move, and I think we've seen at times it, it hasn't. It, it's it's gotten stuck, or guys have been passive and not wanting to take the aggressive shots. Um, and at times we've seen Raquan Evans just hasn't done it well enough. And at times he's been really good and really assertive. The ball has to move. 
but to a certain point, you can't just let the shot clock go all the way down and then hope that somebody's going to find an open shot or make a contested three. It has to be, it has to be moving really, really well. And I, I think we've seen it better in Jacksonville. So I think that's a, that's a positive as we're going through the schedule here. He is our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Bob, have a uh, happy Thanksgiving this week, and uh, we'll see you down in Gainesville. Take care. All right, we'll be back to uh, get the Gator side of the ledger right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. We'll reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Pleased to, to bring on to the show a guy that, uh, Frank, I've been doing your show a long time. I've spent a lot more time probably talking to you on your radio show than, than in person, just the way our, our careers have gone, other than uh, seeing each other at FSU Florida games. But Frank Frangie joins us now from over in Jacksonville. How are you, Frank? Tom, I'm doing well, and I hope you and Keith are well. Thanks for having me on tonight. You bet, you bet. And our uh, First Coast listeners would know that Frank is uh, the voice of the Jags and also hosts Afternoon Drive on 1010XL, uh, where you can hear me on Wednesdays, by the way. See, I can plug myself too, Frank. Obviously, it's Gator FSU week. This is, you know, you and I chat every week. I I never anticipated that we'd be in this scenario where both teams are five and six. Certainly, I know on the Florida side of the ledger, Frank, this season just dropped off a cliff. Uh, you know, not, not so much recap how we got here from the Gator point of view, but what do you expect from Florida now that Mullen is out, a couple coaches have been fired. Are they, are they going to show up and fight one last time? Or are they ready to check out? Boy, I don't know, Tom. It's the darndest fall from grace I've ever seen. Think about this. Two months ago, they had played Alabama to a two-point game. Uh, they were 10th in the nation. Mullen was regarded as, what, one of the 10 best coaches probably. And then poof, two months later, he's out of a job and, and, and they don't know where they're going. So it's a crazy thing. To your question, look, they're going to try. Those kids are exhausted. You, you've, you've seen this. We've all seen it. When a coach gets fired, the emotional drain on the, on the kids. There's a reason why teams with interim coaches don't win very often. It's not because the interim coach didn't do a good job or didn't try and get them ready. It's the kids. By the time an interim coach is in play, Tom, and you know this, kids are out of gas, man. They're emotionally out of gas. I can't imagine that Florida will play very well. They'll try. I can't imagine they'll play very well in this game, particularly with FSU, which I think is a is an ascending team. You and I talk about this, Tom, on Wednesdays all the time. So uh, I, think it'll be, I think that's going to be a tough go for the Gators. Um, uh, Frank, rather, it's a big, big senior class for Florida. Uh, 23, 24 kids. Their last time, time playing at Florida Field, might there be, we, we used the term earlier in the show, the intestinal fortitude to rally one time uh, because this is, might be the last time. Uh, you think that, that that's in these kids? I, they're good kids, Keith, and they'll, and they'll play with pride. But it's, it's an interesting configuration of seniors. There's a lot of transfers on this team. The starting line is almost all tra- – Newkirk's a, a, a transfer. Valentino's a transfer. He just got there. So it is a lot of seniors, but it's, it's not the seniors you and I knew back in the day. You know, it's, it's not seniors that have been together. Usually you think of seniors, you think of guys that have came in together and have fought together for five years, and it's a little different than that. Yeah, they're good kids. They've got a good group of kids on there. It's a, it's a tough group, and they really are a tough group of kids. 
but but a lot of the defensive guys were really close to Todd Grantham. A lot of the other guys, were, and he was already fired a couple of weeks ago. But there's a lot of seniors on the offensive line. They were close to John Hevesy. He was fired two weeks ago. Now the Mullen stuff. See, when when coaches get fired, and then three weeks later the head coach gets fired, or two weeks later, now you've drained those kids emotionally twice. So uh, I think this is going to be a tough go for them. Yeah, there's a toughness to them, and, and have good players. I mean, look, yeah, they were, this is the same team that was ranked 10th in the country two months ago. So they have good players, but it'll be uh, emotionally, uh, it's going to be tough. If that game, if it gets away early on, then I think it's really tough for them. Frank, as bad as it was a few weeks ago, once those two assistants were let go, was it just assumed that, okay, they, they were the sacrificial lambs and Mullen would ride it out and be back next year? I don't know. I don't know if it's that far, Tom. I, I think uh, I think that stayed the execution for a while, but I think the word I think we all kind of figured they needed to win out when he got to that when he got to the last third of the season, as he called it. Georgia was behind him. The bad play they had they had South Carolina, Samford, Missouri, and Florida State, and frankly, all those teams at the time, FSU included, didn't look like teams that could beat Florida. Well, South Carolina wore them out. Sanford scored 52 points, 52 points on them, 42 in the first half. Missouri found a way to come back and beat them. And, again, I think FSU is playing better than all those other three teams right now. So, uh, yeah, at the time, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think we thought Dan was safe. I think what we did think, Tom, is that if he won the last four games, he'd get another chance. I, I, think, that's, I think that was the thinking. Yeah. Once, you, once he lost South Carolina, I was surprised he, he, made, he made it through that, through that game. And when they lost to Missouri, I didn't think they'd bring him back. I, I, I thought it was just a matter of time. Frank, what's the crowd going to be like? What do you think the mood of Florida faithful uh, is going to be like? That's a great question, Keith. I think there will probably – and I think there will be a lot of Seminoles there because, again, I think Florida State's up really mobile right now. I think there will probably be 70, 75, 80,000 in there. It won't be 90. Um, oh, I think once you get into a game, fans want to win. And fans really want to win when you're playing Florida State, just like Florida State when they play in Florida. So the fact that it's FSU helps Florida. I mean, more than – if there's what you don't want to do is be playing a South Carolina or a Missouri – who you don't care that much about. The fact that that garnet and gold's running in there and that, those gold helmets running in there, that will help That will help the Gator players. That will fire up the fans. And look, you only get – there's 365 days. You only get to do this seven times. So the fans will be – the fans that are there will be fired up. But I think the early part of that game is really critical, Keith. I think if the Knowles get on them early, if it's 14-3 FSU late first quarter, I think the fans will be flat as can be. And I think the team will be flat as can be. Stays close for the half. It stays close. Florida's ahead because the teams are pretty even. I actually think Florida's got a better roster than FSU right now. Uh, but but I think FSU has more energy right now. So I uh, Florida stays ahead. I think they're okay. Things start going bad. I think the crowd and the team goes bad. I really do. Talking with Frank Frangie. We'll go big picture here in a moment. And in uh, transparency, we'll, we're, we're having this conversation on Tuesday evening. Are, are, I'm starting to hear, are there, are there quarterback questions? Is Emory Jones ding this week? Where, where's Florida going to be on the on the quarterback side of the ledger? Boy, your guess, Tom, is as good as anybody. That's been the hardest thing to figure out for all of us around here. Uh, I think Emory Jones is going to play. Anthony Richardson is healthy. Emory's going to start the game. You never know what a what a interim coach is going to do. But interim coaches, and you saw this with Odell, interim coaches don't usually go in there and make massive changes. That almost feels like it's disrespectful to the head coach that hired them. You know, so so they'll make a few changes. I think Emory Jones will be the quarterback. I think you'll see both guys. Gator fans are dying to see this guy, Anthony Richardson, because he looks generational, but there's so many things he doesn't understand yet. My guess is Emory will start the game, Tom, 
My guess is you'll see Anthony Richardson very early in the game. Mullen was committed. That's one thing that is different. Mullen was committed to Emory the whole time, and now Emory and now Mullen's gone. So I think you'll see Emory start the game. I'd be surprised if you don't see a good bit of both quarterbacks this game. Also in the big picture, Frank, what what do you think the time frame timeline is for Florida to get a new coach or replacement in? Quick or will they wait? Boy, Keith, that's the question, isn't it? They want it to be really quick. I mean, there's a signing day in December now, so they want it to happen really quickly. Um, my guess is within a week and a half, they'll have a coach. The question is, is number one, you hear the names. I, I do believe from what I'm told from somebody that's close to him, Stoops hasn't completely said no if they're interested in him. But at the end of the day, Bob Stoops probably isn't getting back into it. The name you hear everything fo- everybody focusing on is Billy Napier, the guy at Louisiana. That's, that's the name you hear the most. I have been told they're going to talk to Matt Campbell at Iowa State. But the thing is, LSU has also, from everything you read, narrowed its choices to Dave Aranda, Matt Campbell, and Billy Napier. Well, those guys can't take two jobs. So I think <laughs> what LSU does, and they've got a head start on this, but I would think my guess is it's going to wind up being Napier or Campbell. That'd be my guess. And I'm guessing now. Nobody knows. And I would think probably by the time the champion, the conference championship games have come around, you'll know who the coach is. I happen to be in New Orleans this week, and, and Dave Aranda seems to be where the LSU folks want to go. Uh, Matt Campbell was was a hot name when Florida State hired Mike Norvell, and it just his roots are so Midwest. It seems like the, the thought process was he'd be waiting on a Big Ten job. Uh, but so it's interesting to hear that, you know, his names, I mean, he, obviously he's a very good coach that he'd be in the running for Florida and LSU potentially uh, go ahead. You want to jump in with something on that? It looks like, no, 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 no. I'm with you. I'm just telling you that Campbell's yeah. a guy, see the whole, that whole Midwest thing. And I said, they said it about PJ Fleck. They said it about Matt Campbell. They said it about Luke fickle. Well, there's only a couple jobs. I mean, Harbaugh's not leaving. So it really comes down to Ohio state and he's young and Brian Kelly. And so they can't all get those jobs. So I, now I think I agree with you, Tom. I think that was the thinking that the Midwest guys would stay there. But now I think that's changed a little. I wouldn't be surprised to see Luke Fickle wind up at USC now. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Campbell go to the South. The, the flip side is they're all paid so much. They don't have to switch jobs, you know, but the ego right. comes into play. They want to be someplace they can win. I get it. So two names you didn't mention are two names that Miami seems to be interested in. If in fact they part ways with Manny Diaz, but that would be Lane, Lane Kiffin. And then, and then crystal ball. Is there any interest at all in either of those from the Florida's point of view? I would be surprised just as me personally, Tom, if either of those guys are in play, if crystal ball comes back to the state of Florida, I think he's going to wind up at Miami. He's from Miami. He played there. He won a national championship there. And there's some talk that Gino Toretta could get that AD job. He is in play. Uh, he's a very successful person in private business. He still lives down there. He won the Heisman there. He's a really smart guy. There's talk that he could wind up with as the AD. If he does, I think he's probably going to make a change with Manny. It would be my guess. And he and Cristobal played together. They were on the same – they came in together. They the same national championship team together. So, for me – I think if Cristobal comes back to the state, Tom, it's going to be Miami. And I think that's what the Florida people think. Again, unless it's something we don't realize. Here's the deal with Kiffin. Florida's had seven years of quirky, Tom. McElwain was quirky 
Mullen was quirky. Great coaches, great offensive minds, but quirky. I think they want hey, a normal guy. As the FSU guys, we, we hadn't noticed that, Frank. <laughs> we want, I we, think we, they want normal, you know, I, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm not kidding about that. I think, I yeah. think culture matters. It really mattered to Jeremy Foley. I think it matters to Scott Strickland. I think they'd like to get away from quirky. I really do. And get back to normal, which is why, in my opinion, only my opinion only, I don't sense Lane Kiffin's going to be in play for that job. I just don't. Frank, the one thing as we wrap up here that is interesting to me, you mentioned Cristobal going to Miami, Diaz at Miami. Florida, is there a Florida guy that's a long shot that un- already understands the culture because he played there yeah. and could come back and be like a Kirby Smart going to Georgia? Yeah, not, not this time around, Keith. There's not. I mean, Kerwin Bell 10 years ago looked like he might be that guy. Great player at Florida. He was at Jacksonville here coaching when he had football. Now he's at Western Carolina. But when he went to USF under Charlie Strong, it didn't go so well. People have talked about Charlie Strong, who didn't go to Florida, but coached there a number of years and certainly knows where the bodies are buried for sure. But I don't think so. I think in this current cycle, I don't see a Florida guy in play here. I'm telling you, I, I would be a little bit surprised if it's not Napier or Campbell. Now, with the possible with a possible exception of Bob Stoops, if he's interested. You know, I've heard Dan Quinn's name, the, the defensive coordinator with the Cowboys, a former Falcons head coach. That would surprise me a little bit, but I've and, and, and no one on the inside has told me that. I've just read it on wherever. Uh, and he and he certainly has coached there. So Charlie Strong and Quinn have coached there. But as far as a guy, a gator that played there, uh, I don't see that. I, I'd, I'd be surprised, Keith. I'll tell you what, if I had a pro coaching job, I don't think I'd jump back to college and deal with recruiting, but that's, that's just me. Totally agree. I hear you in the portal and NIL and who knows what's next. hundred percent agree. You know, if you hire Billy Napier, Frank, that's a former FSU assistant. He had like 42 glorious days on Jimbo's staff. <laughs> I met him in February and by March, he was somewhere. He was gone before spring practice even started. I forget if that's when he went to Clemson or Alabama, but that was his tenure in Tallahassee. I didn't even know that. I didn't realize he was, he was there. What yeah, I didn't know well, is... It's literally probably not on his LinkedIn, but he was on staff. <laughs> I, I know because I hosted the signing day event with Jimbo and they introduced the assistants and he had just gotten on staff and he literally was there three weeks or something and then got I'll a better be offer. I, I didn't know that. I did know that he went with McElwain when he went back he, when Dabo fired him. Cause we've all read about, we've all been reading about the guy. I didn't know any of this until this last couple of weeks. Yeah. So when Dabo fired him, he went to uh, Alabama as an analyst and then went with McElwain as his right-hand guy to Colorado State before Nick hired him back. Now, Florida people aren't talking about that, by the way. They, no one wants to talk about the connection to McElwain. And so, but, but he was connected to McElwain for a while, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Hey, Frank, great, great insight. It's good to catch up, and we appreciate it. Fellas, Thank anytime. You, Thanks for having me on. Y'all be good. Hey, stay with us. More Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Two minutes to finish up. Great insight from Frank Frangie just to get the Gator point of view on it. You know, something we talked about in the break, Keith, uh, with with Frank, to, to his point about interim coaches, not making many changes. I, th- I think he's right about that, but there's some irony there because Jordan Travis was a non-factor for Florida State until Willie Taggart was fired, and then all of a sudden Odell's the interim coach, and guess who gets a couple carries at Boston College and basically wins the football game? 
Jordan well, Travis. The only thing, yeah, the only thing I thought through though differently is that that was probably a, 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 a Bryles decision with Odell saying you can do whatever you want to do. So it will also be interesting. Some of the other coaches that are left on this Gator staff that are kind of, you know, in limbo about where they're going to be and what they're going to be doing. Don't be surprised if you see some changes on the Gator side from the segment coaches trying to reposition themselves, if you will. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. It's Florida, Florida State. Uh, here's, Here's the thing, Keith. When when you get in the stadium and Florida sees the garnet and gold and there's some energy from the crowd, even if it's not as full as what it normally is, they'll want to play and win then. But if they're mailing it in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you can't make up for that. And that no. is really what the question is. The focus during the week, you're exactly right. And by all accounts, uh, Florida State's had a couple of really good practices uh, at least to their head coach's way of thinking, because he's mentioned it. So, uh, yes, that, that's a big dividing and deciding factor. Norvell's practices are open to the media a couple days a week. And uh, sometimes, especially when a coach doesn't have open practices, when you hear after practice, oh, it was a good practice, it wasn't a good practice, you never really know if it's coach speak. But because there's media there, and, and we've heard it more and more recently, the last month or so, the last few weeks, there's been more times after practice than not when Norvell says this, this was one of our best practices. I mean, this team has learned how to work over the course of the season because it's not lip service when he says it because the media is there and they would know if he was, if he was fabricating that info. We talk about it a lot. Uh, and even when we were not playing well, you and I would make the comment, or at least I would about, you know, it's above the shoulders, you know, that part's very fixable. Well, this team above the shoulders has bought into the climb, as Coach Norvell calls it, and um, that sure makes practice a lot better. It makes practice a lot more enjoyable because uh, the coaches are in a much better mood, and uh, it helps you get prepared quicker and, and more thoroughly for a ball game. No question. Well, uh, the timeline for Florida makes sense to try and get a coach in in a week and a half. You know, FSU knows what it's like in the early signing period to change coaches. You're, you're going you're gonna to take a loss on this year's signing class. The key, though, is if you're Florida or Miami, you can't change coaches twice in three years as FSU did. That's really what is that, – that's what that made the hole so deep that Florida State and Mike Norvell are having to dig out of. Well, if it, if it, if it in fact is a hole, when you change coaches, that, that hole's about three foot deep. And then when you change another one in a shorter period of time, instead of becoming six foot deep, it comes about 13 feet deep. And so that's what they've had to grow out of. Hey, going back to this Billy Napier thing that I commented on to Frank, I, I had to look this up, make sure I didn't uh, re- remember incorrectly. I, I know I met him. Let's see. Uh, uh, he left Florida State to be the wide receiver coach at Alabama. Uh, after like 35 days. So he officially announced uh, January 15th, he was hired at FSU. And by March, he was at Alabama several years ago. So, (laughs) you know, you used to never hear of things like that, but uh, Manny Diaz had taken the head coach somewhere. And then like seven days later, when Mark Rick resigned, as as folks will remember, because it's been reported, you know, brought him back. So uh, you used to never hear things about that. In fact, if, if a coach did that, 
it was a big, big mark against him for the rest of his career. Uh, but uh, maybe we got a transfer porter at the court coaches level too. I don't know. What do you think? We'll have plenty of time to talk about this, but uh, yeah, so maybe I should save it. I, I, the transfer portal is going to be interesting for Florida State because personally, I do think they need to get another quarterback in from a depth standpoint. But it is a it is an interesting deal when you've got a guy who I mean Travis is getting better each and every week now. I mean we've gone from the you know who can McKenzie play to now it's looking like Jordan now he's got two years of eligibility left and he's he's improving week to week. As I mentioned, uh, he he evidently and by all reports has been very very uh, purposeful about working on those fundamentals, and uh, we all know his talent. And so you match that with hard work and you get the fundamentals down correctly. You know, that trajectory takes off. You get exponentially better. You don't get incrementally better. And uh, I think we've seen that. We've got time after this week to discuss uh, the, the future and the recruiting and the portal. But uh, it's been a remarkable run to get to five and six. See if Florida State can get to six and six this week. Don't forget the FSU basketball team plays tonight. Uh, so good luck to Coach Ham and company. The soccer team going for another college cup they're in the elite eight they play michigan two o'clock on friday so hopefully it's uh, as you finish your black friday shopping hopefully it becomes a black friday for the wolverines and mark Corian does what his team always does and punches another ticket to the uh, to the college cup they have been playing remarkable defense and and they've been very good on offense that's a that's a pretty good winning uh, record. Now, uh, winning combination. We call it the pitch, right? They play on the pitch. Am I getting my terms right? You are. That's impressive for a guy there from Leesburg. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and it's Wildwood. It's not Leesburg, but thank you. Oh, that, and I, you know, and I know that Wildwood with with just one L though. <laughs> How many D's are in Wildwood? I don't know. There's We're, not one. It's uh, W I L E W O O D. Just yeah. one. There we go. We're out of time. He's Keith from Wildwood. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week.